They hide at the back of the cupboard, behind the couch, and definitely, definitely underneath your desk. Yes, this week on Download This Show, wires. Most of our houses are filled with them, but a new decision by Europe might mean that for many of us, we can start to rationalise at least some of those wires. Also on the show, Facebook under fire, and would you pay for a streaming service that's nothing but rolling news? Let's find out. This is your guide to the week in media, technology and culture. My name is Mark Fennell and welcome to Download This Show. Yes, indeed, it is a brand new episode of Download This Show. Our guest this week, freelance technology journalist Peter Wells. Welcome back to the show. Well, thank you, Mark. Thank you for having me. The pleasure is entirely mine. And from the AFI tech media and marketing writer, Natasha Gillazo, it's always a pleasure to have you back on Download This Show. Oh, cheers. Good to be here. And you know who's not having a good week? Probably the people at the comms team of Facebook. It was a huge, huge, huge news story this week around Facebook. Natasha, explain to me what happened. Well, the t- I mean, this is kind of connected to an ongoing reckoning for Facebook as a company, but basically the Wall Street Journal and other US-based publications threw a series of accusations at the company about its internal workings. Some were to do with the idea that celebrities were treated differently by Facebook in the sense that there was kind of extra checks and balances for what they could and couldn't post, which raised some questions of, inconsistency or whether the Facebook was censoring people. The most concerning was employee response to human trafficking, especially across Instagram, and also just questions around how Facebook communicates its story about itself in the public and pushes out pro-Facebook stories, which um, it definitely does. Um, that's what public relations is. And the fourth was around Facebook knowing that Instagram was causing a lot of issues for teenagers. So a lot of really disparate things going on. Like we have like mental health, we have like human trafficking, we have a lot of different concerns being mixed into a series of allegations against the company that are not altogether new, but have been packaged with, I guess, new information from whistleblowers inside the company. Yes. It's a bit of a shotgun series of revelations. Peter, out of all of those things, what Mm. stood out to you most? Just the courage of the uh, whistleblower for someone who works there to be brave enough to leak this information. Uh, I just hope there's more to come. Okay, so let's just go through a few of those things there. So in terms of the idea that there is a different set of rules for, for people of, of public note, exactly what is, what is the claim there, Natasha? I just want to wrap my head around that a bit more. The idea was that there was like an additional step for high profile people like celebrities, politicians, but also, you know, people who had social status on Facebook themselves. There was an additional step before they posted content that Facebook would kind of intervene in, um, which means I guess the issue, the the main question was uh, is around um, Facebook controlling content or taking a special interest in that kind of content but then also not doing other things about taking down harmful content in other contexts. So a question as to why, I guess. Yeah. Natasha, let's just talk about Facebook's response to all this because they send out a pretty robust uh, defence for themselves. If we were to go through what Facebook are saying in their defence, what are the headlines? The top line responses from Facebook, and this is consistent with how they've responded to some, um, you know, allegations in the past is, yep, 
we actually know about this. Here's our mm-hmm. internal ways that we've responded to this in the interim period. And and you need to acknowledge the steps that we've made internally in your reporting. So that's kind of their responses. They're saying in some of the reporting by um, mainstream media, it's almost leaving out a few interim steps that have happened. Mm. It's really hard, I think, when trust has been broken or fractured to kind of like really know how to weight those different claims. But I do think that is a fair enough response in, in a reporting sense that you should sort of include, hey, this this was what the truth was at this point in time. This was their failures then. They made these steps in this year and potentially mm. some of the reporting didn't do that. Is there a sense that Facebook are taking this stuff seriously, Natasha? I think that what they do very well is they hire really excellent people and they put them into a really, really challenging situation, whether that's their policy people or their comms people. You could kind of view that in two ways. There are people who genuinely do their best to call things out and make a difference within the company. And then there might be people who are using their brilliance to further the harms or protect protect the interests of the company. It's probably a combination of the two. I do think that in my interactions with the company, the communications people are incredibly professional, but they're really polished, you know, they're really polished operation. And that is a barrier, I guess, to truth. And that is a barrier to kind of letting the ugly sores out for everyone to look at. I'm still kind of coming up with my own conclusions about all this because in my view, it's vexed. Like, let's take the social media causes harm in teenagers argument, which gets like a lot of media attention. I obviously think that's a negative thing. And I think that's a really, really bad thing. But I also think that the company internally has taken some steps to try and reduce and educate. But I wouldn't just put the I wouldn't just lay the kind of responsibility at the company's feet alone. I think how people interact with the app, what they choose to post their level of awareness and understanding also plays a role. And that's that's where I find it vexing is that I think there's like a lot of different things at play and you can't just tell one simple single story about Facebook and Instagram. Uh, I think you can. I think uh, that the algorithm is the god on Facebook and Instagram and Google and YouTube and Twitter. Yeah, I'd agree with that, Peter. It's a really good point. Download this show is what you're listening to. It is your guide to the week in media, technology and culture. And is there a market for non-stop streaming news, Natasha? There's been an announcement this week and I'd love to get your sense of uh, if you could lay it out for us. Yeah, sure. So Foxtel boss Patrick Delaney is um, expected in an upcoming strategy event for the company to promote and unveil a third streaming service for the company that's just going to play news it's going to be called flash it's expected to cost about ten dollars a month and sort of bring together different news outlets in a i guess a non-stop non-stop news type of situation all right so what what can you expect to find on this service that we are aware of already peter um i i really don't know i, I mean i guess it's going to be sky news but um paid like why, why would you pay for that <laughs> Yeah, look, it's actually funny in terms of what, how Peter and I have kind of responded differently to what some of our concerns are at the moment. I feel actually much more concerned about the idea of a shift towards 24-hour news and not creating structures where there's a pause for reporters to reflect and take time before mm-hmm. they put out stories. Because I think what happens over time with that trend 
when reporters aren't allowed to just kind of, they always have to be on, like you're on air 24 seven, then yeah. they start to create a world as opposed to be part of the world. And that's my biggest concern with 24 hour news always is that the people kind of create their own echo chamber. They create their own version of reality, but because of the like supposed credibility of what news media is, people trust that. And then they buy into that version of reality. So this is not great news in my opinion. Okay. So I just want to talk this through, right? So in the case of Foxtel, obviously they've had reasonably successful streaming service launches in the form of like Binge and KO, but they have this other component that exists on Foxtel, which is of course their news output. So naturally there is there is Sky News in the mix, but there's also a range of other things. They rebroadcast Fox, CNN, BBC World, etc., etc. So it's sort of on one level, just from a pure business argument, it does kind of make sense to me that they have these existing output relationships with not just Sky, which is obviously their own one, but their other services as well. It makes sense that they would want to try and find some way of delivering that over the top. The question I have is whether or not there's actually a market for it, Peter. Like, do you know what I mean? I, like, I feel like a lot of those services, they already deliver direct to the audience via their websites. It's a question of would you would you pay for an additional streaming service that's just giving you options of different streaming news channels? Or do you think there's a market for that? Uh, I, I really don't. I, I, I can't see the market at all. I mean, I think we're, I, I think we've all hit um, subscription fatigue where, you know, I pay for Spotify, mm. KO, uh, Netflix, Apple TV, and YouTube. I also pay for YouTube because YouTube without ads is the greatest. I'm just not going to pay, like, why would I pay this company when YouTube is there and whatever services, if I want to watch BBC, if I want to watch the ABC, if I, like, it's all there. I can already get it. Uh, what I think this is, is a runaround. The new thing is going to be this. It's it's Sky News with a with a bow tie. It's Sky News with a new hat. I do think that there is a market for it. And I do think that people have a perception that certain news organizations are hostile to their views. So yeah, they'll pay for the ability to go find services that cater to their own opinions, if that's something that they value. I don't think it's going to be like an explosive success, though. I think it'll be like, it'll go okay. Actually, let's talk about niche subscription services, right? We know that there's a few of them around. So obviously, like just in terms of things to watch, there's Shudder, which is all about sort of horror and suspense. The one I am fascinated by is Shelter. Shelter is just like bougie architectural shelter is give me shelter yes why they haven't run with that as a uh, as a tagline i do not know shelter is bougie architectural short films and movies so imagine wow that is a niche wow imagine like restoration australia on 24 7 but i've i've looked at i've watched a whole bunch of their ads on like youtube and vivio and every time i'm like it's quite mesmerizing like the drone shots of houses that are like really beautiful out in the wilderness that you would like you would totally go to as like an airbnb or something like that totally like a a little treat airbnb (laughs) situation you'd never own but maybe there's like a visual asmr aspect to it yeah like look i would never go there because like my children would like destroy it but at the same time like i like being able to watch it from a distance yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. interesting yeah my, my my current binge uh like beyond beyond stand-up comedy and uh but beyond that i've been watching trains what? on on youtube i just, just watched train just, well, well people talking about trains people talking about how trains are you know, like yeah, just just train infrastructure, and I, I just love it. I just it, it's it's my happy place. It's my go to place to to relax. But 
Peter, would you pay $10 a month for just like hectic train-related content <laughs> made by the best in I, the game I, more than you would Foxtel's new uh, service Flash? I am paying the guy who makes one of the best train channels a Patreon every month. So, yes, I would pay for trains. <laughs> See, this is an interesting go. question. What are the what what are the missing gaps in like super niche streaming services that like like need to be filled? Like, are there is there some other kind of content out there that you would definitely pay for in uh, in, in streaming land? Beyond like trains is a great example, but do, like where else could we go with this? I guess over the last couple of years that we've had like things that make that person happy, right? Yeah, and maybe that's a positive thing. That those are the positive niches that could be filled by by the streaming service type. And obviously there's people doing great work and there are a bunch of great options. So I'm not suggesting that those don't exist in some fashion, but yeah, that'd be cool. That'd be interesting. I would just say, look, uh, YouTube has it all. So no matter what you need, go to YouTube, make sure, I mean, YouTube obviously is just as bad as all the other social networks. It's controlled by the, the algorithm. So you have to be careful. My final idea for like a subscription service would sort of be like a renaissance of art attack. And I know that, that this kind of exists on TikTok and YouTube, but like really just like a good vibe 24-7, people doing cool art. I'd watch that for sure. Well, there's um, all this I, not, not to necessarily do it, but just to, yeah, that would be really cool. And I'd support that. I'd want to support artists as well. So I'd feel good about it. Well, there is this whole world of slow TV, obviously, is, is like a bit of a cliche that was around for a while. But, I mean, there's a lot of that that exists. We're watching people make recipes in real time, watching people do artworks in real time. Like Bob Ross's classic TV show is, is almost exactly what you're describing there. It's just like just literally, watch a dude literally. paint a painting in real time. <laughs> yeah. yeah, like in very, yeah, there's nothing innovative about what I'm putting down here. I'm just saying like, hey, that'd be nice. And, and you're like, yeah, like it's a thing. It was indeed a thing. It's been around. I'm like, oh, yeah, cool. I like the idea <laughs> I that, like that everything old is new again, but you have to pay for it on a monthly subscription basis. <laughs> Yeah. Yeah, that's it. That's the business. That's the concept. I'm going to I'm going to leave the studio after this and set up uh, the Bob Ross 24-hour network. All right. <laughs> Download this show is what you're listening to. Uh, it is your guide to the week in media technology and culture. Our guest this week Natasha Gillazo from the AFR and freelance text journalist. Peter Wells, Mark Fennell is my name, and if you're one of those people that's bought a computer in recent years, you will probably have experienced the general annoyance of possibly having to use an adapter to kind of get you from USB-C connections through to USB-C connections and then does a USB USB-C connection to this thing and that thing, but USB-C is about to become a lot more ubiquitous and you can thank Europe, Peter. Why is that? Because Europe actually has regulators, which is really cool. So they're forcing Apple to use USB-C on their next iPhone, which I don't think is going to happen, by the way. I, I, I've always thought that USB-C was an own goal by Apple, that they developed the technology, they were behind the technology. And, of course, they were the first people to roll it out into their laptops and then everyone talked about dongle land and, you know, having to have dongles and you know, all that kind of stuff. And that was their own goal. Like, they made that mistake themselves because their most popular product is not the Mac. The most popular product they make is the iPhone. And while the iPhone still had lightning, then USB-C was just a yet another annoying thing. Whereas if they had switched immediately to USB-C on the iPhone, their biggest selling product, then every hotel room that you ever stayed in would have a USB-C charger beside the bed. But instead, there's no 
kind of uh, standard. And so we have to work around this stuff and that, that creates dongle land. This has been one of my major criticisms of Apple for a very long time. Um, and I'm glad that the European Union is actually making them change their way. But I do think they're not going to do it. I reckon the next iPhone is not going to have a port at all. It'll just be charged via wireless charging or nothing at else. Wireless charging does help you. Um, it, it's not as strong as wired charging. It like slowly brings it back to life. Like, <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, you make so it sound yeah. like a zombie you, movie, Natasha. <laughs> yeah, the best, well. the best wireless charging you can get is about seventeen watts per hour, whereas the best uh, wired charging you can get is forty-five watts per hour. So. And, and and this is just purely iPhone, and these numbers are based on two years ago. I might be wrong now. So, yeah, yeah. So you can charge over wireless. It just takes a bit longer, and it's more annoying. And it's also worse for the environment. Here's a fun fact, because the charge it gives you is not as good as the power it uses to charge. So when you're using a wired connection, you're using less electricity to power your device. Okay, so let's talk about what you think is going to happen here with us, Natasha. Like, obviously, Pete's put his uh, his flag down on the he doesn't think it's going to happen. What do you think is likely to happen now that Europe's rolling out these new regulations? Well, I guess one option would be for Apple to make a different kind of iPhone for the European market, but that does kind of seem unlikely somehow. It just doesn't. I don't get how that works. <laughs> I also love this kind of like idea in the debate. It's like iPhone and Android users have long complained about using different chargers for their phones. And this moment really made me feel like, is this that inconvenient? Like I, I was really curious. I wanted to know more about kind of the waste aspect of having, you know, different manufacturers making all these different types of chargers that I was interested in. Like I was like, is there a real landfill issue here that I'm missing? Because I've never personally found it that hard to come by the charger that I need or to lend someone a charger. So I didn't I didn't know that this was necessarily on kind of like the vanguard of issues for people. So yeah, what 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 do you think Mark? What do you think Peter? Is uh, there like a landfill question here that I, I I've been missing in this debate? I think there's an argument for standardisation making it easier for you to choose one provider or the other. So I think you don't get locked into a walled garden. I could see like an argument like that. Totally, but did that relate yeah. to charges? I get everyone having the same train tracks laid down so we can kind of like mm. smooth smooth this joint up. But like I totally understand, you know, it, being able to portability of data across different phones. I was more curious. I was like, was the charging dock an issue here? Because... Yeah, I, I, does that relate to that particular aspect of the kind of like consumer choice I, I and it, not being locked in? I think it does. I think it does because, you know, like, again, if, if you think of every hotel room you've ever stayed in, if they're a modern hotel, then they have lightning because they expect you to be an iPhone user. If they're hmm. an older hotel, they have the dock connector still because hmm. they just haven't upgraded their clock. And, and that is landfill. That is like uh, pr proprietary stuff sucks. It just sucks. So, yeah, anything that, that standardizes is really good. And, and Apple really loves to talk about how green it is. It can't be green while it's still using the one cable that no one else uses. From a convenience point of view, when you've got USB-C on both ends, that's so much better than having USB-C just on one end. So the argument that's been yeah. put up by the um, European Commission is is one about waste reduction. That That is the, the mm. primary motivating factor. And it's probably worth pointing out here that 
what we have at the moment is your sort of three primary sort of contemporary forms of charging, if, uh, of wired charging. So you've got USB-C, which is sort of like the USB of old, but smaller and thinner and more fun. Let's go with more fun. Then you've got micro USB, which is very big with Android devices, a lot of third-party devices. And then there is that that one that Peter was referring to earlier, which is the lightning one, very small. And of course, these days you get a lightning on one end and you get a USB-C on the other. The idea of having you know, one wire to rule them all, for lack of a better term. I could see the appeal yeah. of that. As, a bit like, as my son constantly reminds me, Daddy, you have way too many wires. And it's like, well, I need them. And so I could see mm. an argument for why you'd want to re- reduce them. I guess the question is what sort of, is there a material kind of hardware reason why they wouldn't have done this before now? Because if I'm Apple, right, I don't know how much money they make from selling additional wires, right? I'm sure it's some. But like their whole sort of design ethos has also been like a minimalist one. So I could kind of see an argument for you know, perhaps the aesthetics overriding the the hardware sales. I can see why it would appeal to them to, ha- to have like one wire to rule them all. I'm, I'm going to commit to that as an analogy, by the way, Peter. I can see why yeah. it would appeal to Apple to do that, but tell me if I'm wrong. No, no, you're absolutely right. Like the way they argue it is that it's thinner. Therefore, I mean, when Lightning came out, Lightning came out way before USB-C. So they were developing both technologies at the same time. But they released Lightning first because their most important product is the iPhone and they had to make sure that the iPhone got thinner and smaller and so they made the thinnest and smallest charger available. And and look, Lightning is incredible technology. I would understand if the European Commission came out and were like, hey guys, aesthetics be gone, this is really about convenience because the convenience argument is the strongest one to me. I found the landfill argument like just a long bow to draw and a lot of effort in this particular scenario. So I, the waste reduction argument I didn't fully get or buy into, but I'm happy to kind of be wrong on that. I do think, you know, lightning charger, it's very small. I'm looking at mine right now and it is very small. <laughs> Um, but at the same it time, is. I'm happy for I'm happy for there to be industry standards in, you know, I don't have a problem with industry standards whatsoever. I guess to me, this one just seems like an interesting hill to die on and not that kind of important in some of the tech debates that are going on at the moment, um, standardizing charger, charger cables. Do you remember Firewire? Oh, yes. I still have some random Firewire connections. As the, there was two generations of it. Two generations became really yep. popular. And I still have a bunch of those wires sitting in, like, my cupboards. And I'm like, am I ever going to use you again? Should I get rid of you? Maybe I shouldn't. <laughs> is, that just, like, am yeah, I, yeah. is that just me doing that? No, no, no. No, I've, no, I've, I've I have got... them as well sitting <laughs> around. Like, I'm waiting for, for Firewire to come back and become popular again. Dear God, this is the nerdiest conversation I've been a part of in a long time. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, okay, so okay, so let's do this, Peter. Since I've, I'm, I'm crowding you, Lord. We all of- have that draw, Mark. We all, <laughs> we, we all have that draw of like miscellaneous, redundant wires, and it's like, what does that I say about our box. psyche? But like, this could come in handy. Who knows? Who knows what the HCC will say? Like, I mean, this wire will be the thing, and it's like the semblance <laughs> of control in a in a decaying world. Okay, so here's Fire what I'm going to do. 400's coming back, goddammit. Okay, so here's what I'm going to do. Um, I'm going to commit to my Tolkien analogy here. Uh, Peter, you are now Lord of the Wires. I want you to tell me which ones I'm I'm safe to throw out. Am I safe to throw out my Firewire wires? <laughs> Yeah, 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 of course. Yeah, well, Firewire 400, of course, throw out. Firewire 800 depends. Um, if you do Mac support, uh, which I did for a job for a while, then you might need to keep it around if you face older Macs. Anyway, look, look, uh, I mean... No, 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 I have more, I, I, I have more, I have more, I have more. 
Uh, the what else have I got here? I'm just I'm just thinking. Yeah, the coaxial cable. Can I get rid of that? Yes. Okay. Good. HDMI. Should I get rid of that? No. I've got a lot of those. No. 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 Yeah, no. 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 HDMI cables. Like that's like that's kind of having like gum at high school. Like someone always needs one, even if you have too many. Mark, a mate is going to want a stick of HDMI cable, and you will be there to provide it, which you know is is yep. be- benefits all parties. We've got a we've got a special request from Emerus, who's uh, recording us today. Uh, you may remember the the VGA cables that have the little uh, the three little prongs. You've got the um the red connector, the white connector, yeah, and yeah, sometimes yeah. yellow connector. Uh, uh, do I need to keep that or can I get rid of that? Throw those out, mate. Oh, this is this is giving me life. <laughs> this is so this is so, do you know how much space I'm going to save thanks to this conversation? <laughs> what about that one that you would connect to the um, external hard drives where it was like small and thin and flat? I don't even uh, know what it's called. The small and thin it's and called flat USB, and what? it's called USB B. What? There was a B? Why did no yeah. one tell me there was a B? Yeah, because it looks like a bee. Um, so, Mark, you know, if you, if you look you at it. You should keep that um, because I bet you have a documentary, you know, an unfinished documentary on one of those hard drives and, and, and the people need to see it. You it, know, I know. Yeah. <laughs> it'll be some old junket interview old that I did with some movie star. Or, or it'll be like some child star that I interviewed five years ago that's about to blow up and become massive. That's what it'll be. Is there what? any other wire I'm, I'm safe to get rid of that you guys know of? They're all like a mess and a jumble to me. I'm so impressed at your guys' ability to actually like name the wires. Like to me, I know them by like look and feel. Rather than <laughs> That's the why I was USB describing game. it earlier. I was like, the one with the yeah, three prongs so and the thing. I'm actually, I'm mm. actually quite blown away by the specialty knowledge coming forth of like actually being able to name these different wires. If you're still I'm listening sorry, to mate. this, I'm, I'm such a nerd. <laughs> I'm just such a nerd. I'm sorry, Natasha. It, it's. People, you know, oh, I no, mean, apologies this is... for nerding out. That's what we're here to do. As I love to say, if you can't nerd out on download this show, and if you can't nerd out on Radio National, I mean, where the hell else are you going to do it? Hey, uh, that is all we've got time for on the show this week. Huge thank you to Lord of the Wires himself, Peter Wells. Thanks for being <laughs> back on the Mark. show. <laughs> and Natasha Gillazo, <laughs> tech media and marketing reporter with the AFR, and a woman with a cupboard full of wires that apparently now need to be um, rationalised. Thanks so much for doing the show. Yeah, thanks so much for having me, Mark. All right, if anybody needs me, I'll be off setting up a streaming service for uh, watching wire. Oh, there it is, a streaming service just for watching wires being thrown out. That is all we've got time for on the show this week. Huge thank you to our guests. Uh, If you enjoyed this, dear God, what is wrong with you? Uh, But you can leave a review on whichever podcasting app you happen to encounter us on. With that, I shall leave you. My name is Mark Fennell, and thanks for listening to another episode of Download This Show. Download This Show.